1: No purchase necessary. Void are prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are on this pale blue dot that we all live on, my name is Adamantium. You're the audience, and you're listening, or in case this case, watching uh, this edition of AAU T Z M podcast. Uh, just so you know, I'm outside the wonderful and elegant Conway Hall, where we're going to be having the Z Day event. For those of you who don't know, Z Day is a global uh, simultaneous uh, sort of conference and symposium event. Uh, where the Zeitgeist Movement holds uh, talks and screenings and discussions about how we can actually make the world a better place. I'm here at the London event. It's a little later than the the usual ones because, you know, we couldn't get the venue in time. But it's here now, so I'm going to be here. The format for the show today is going to be very simple. It's going to be cutting in between, uh, you know, the different talks that are going to be going on, like my my favorite bits. Plus, I'm going to be having a chat with some of the awesome people that are going to be coming here, some of the speakers. So it's going to be a really, really awesome thing. Um so here it goes folks. Welcome to Z Day London twenty fifteen. one and all to z day london 2015 uh just the uh, usual announcements for those of you listening to this on youtube or in this case watching on youtube if you want to get an v- mp3 version of this podcast down below in the video description you'll find a link to it and then you can download for it for free in mp3 format so you can do that there Uh, the usual plug is for a book called the zeitgeist movement defined Uh, if you want to know exactly what the zeitgeist movement advocates then uh, this is the book that you know it's the quote unquote bible as it were uh, of the zeitgeist movement where it completely you know completely lays out the train of thought, exactly what's advocated in complete detail. But just to quickly sum it up in a a, a sentence, the Zeitgeist Movement exists uh, to advocate a move out of the need for the monetary system by advocating the application of the scientific method to social and environmental concern. So there's that. But if you want to find out uh, how to get hold of uh, The Zeitgeist Movement Defined, go to www.thezeitgeistmovement.com forward slash orientation and there you'll find a, uh, the, the link to get hold of it. If you want to buy a physical copy, then you can buy one from, I think, amazon.com and lulu.com, I think. Uh, but you can also download a PDF of it completely for free. Can't say fairer than that. Um, just a uh, just sort of like a personal work announcement. Um, the, uh, the the film that I'm working on, Threshold, it is still in the works. I'm nearly finished with uh, writing the song that's uh, that's going to appear in there. It's it's been you know very hectic trying to get into the particular mindset that I'm not completely used to, um, which is being you know a musician. I don't claim to be a musician, and it's and it's a struggle to sort of you know get that. Skill um, sort of like honed to the point where I can actually manage to do it, um, but that's going to be coming out soon. Hopefully, um, you know, maybe it can uh, be shown in a couple of film festivals or something, or media festivals. You never know. But um, that aside, um, the uh, just it is my unfortunate task to inform you that this pod- podcast is no longer so- sponsored by Cochlear, Um the uh, the implant that uh, that gets you know people to tell the truth uh via their their headsets then now no longer our sponsor because they were found out uh through the uh through the itv leaders debates uh, it's it so strange that you know these these sponsors that i get you know they uh they're, they're, they're very sort of like fly-by-night situations um i don't know maybe it's because some of them aren't completely moral I'm not sure. Whatever keeps the money rolling in, right? Um... But yeah, they they were found out, so uh, <laughs> they had to like sort of close down and shop because they were manipulating people. And uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was partly uh, some of this that uh, that inspired the uh, the cooking of uh, different figures that political parties put in their manifestos. And despite the fact that the media just declared them, oh yeah, those naughty politicians mis like right, mispe speaking about their their figures. Yeah, naughty politicians. We're still going to keep voting for you, though. Uh, so this podcast is brought to you by a very new sort of innovation, and it's, uh, it's something that I think can appeal to a lot of activists. Um, essentially, how it works, I mean, the, the, the title is, it, you know, the, uh, it, it, do, it doesn't even have a product name. This thing is so new and innovative. Um, but essentially, how it works, it goes upon the principle uh, discovered by By Dr. Finkelstein, uh, real name, and uh, you know, he discovered that uh, when a person is in a negative frame of mind, they're more susceptible to manipulating information, and this is where you know, apathy can really turn on its head and really start showing what can actually be done about, uh, you know, promoting social change. Because normally we find, you know, when, uh, I mean, I, I consider it the one of the biggest... Causes for deaths or failures of social movements is uh, the apathy of its membership, and uh, and that's why this uh, this brand new uh, brand new device was uh, was created. I mean, the you know patents pending and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but how it works is uh, it scans the local area, and and obviously you can buy upgrades to you know widen your search net, as it were. Um, but it locks on to any sort of negative vibes that are coming off people because it can read it. They're, I mean, like, there's this whole new convoluted technology that they're using that they can actually, de- like, electronically detect vibes from from people. Um, but it's, like, really, really interesting. And, um, you know, they've, they've got, like, a good capital investment <laughs> at Rothschild. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see how... Uh, how that fares, and you know, obviously, there's been a deal struck up between myself and the company for, for them to sponsor me, and I, I give them props. So, uh, so when you, uh, maybe if you if you Google it, there might be a couple of uh, bits of information about it. Not sure if they've got a website yet, but there's that. Um, but anyway, uh, this podcast is also brought to you by my entrusted. Triad of sponsorship providing the three points of, of positive, uh, productive support. Um, you know, one of them is uh, Russell Brand, the other one's uh, Caroline Lucas MP, and the other one is Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, they've all agreed to co fund this podcast uh, in, re- you know, in uh, return for them coming onto the show towards the end to discuss how science and sustainability can be applied to society. Um, but uh, I've, yeah yeah I'm, I'm soon to, uh, you know, routinely thank them for sponsoring the show, so be sure to tweet, email, text, smoke signal, whatever you gotta do, to thank these individuals, Russell Brand, Caroline Lucas and Sir Patrick Stewart. Thank these individuals for sponsoring this show and helping it going, cause, uh, you know, we, we all need money, right? You know, we need money to kill money in that sense, so give me money. Um, so yeah, moving on to the actual topic for for this show. As you can see, I'm sat here in Conway Hall, uh, waiting for the event to start. I think uh, a couple of the speakers are doing a few bits of sound checking and stuff. So it's going to be good. I'm going to be uh, chatting to loads of people. I'm going to be intercutting between um, you know the talks that I'm going to film, but it's all going to be really sweet. It's uh, very much what I did uh, two years ago uh, for UK Collapse Radio, uh, where I just went around with. With my ic recorder just like talking to people but hopefully this time i'll be able to actually chat to some people so hopefully that will be uh, that'll be really really good um i look forward to interviewing all these people i look forward to showing you all this um yeah today looks like it's going to be awesome so keep sit. um so go make yourself something to drink sit down relax sort yourself out and uh, <laughs> sort it out mate uh, But, yeah, here comes Z-Day 2015. Welcome to
3: Z-Day, everyone. My name's James,
4: James Phillips. I'm going to be your navigator for today. Um, I think the fact that you're you're all here shows a good sign right from the outset. The fact that people say social change will never happen. But the very
0: fact you're here means it already is. So, there you go. One mil to us already. you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. So you takes Guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in.
3: (laughs)
2: so tell what brings you here today
5: yeah uh, i came across this uh, zeitgeist when i first seen the movies and it really motivated me Uh, there was always something inside me that uh, I felt like there was something wrong in the system <laughs> something something is not going in the right direction, and then I found out that we have a you guys have a movement in the u k uh, so I attended that and uh, yeah i 'm um, up to all the events um, all the streets, stalls, and everything where um, we can just spread the word um, yeah talk about talk about things that might improve uh, everybody all the people lives and uh, Just make a little change in the world, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, make it a better place if we could do something else. Fantastic.
2: Uh, Second question, uh, how active are you in social change?
5: Yeah, that's a good question and it's it's always really hard, Uh, I mean, I find myself in a situation that it, it's the best way to to make a change is is to make a change in yourself, um, uh, educating yourself, reading books, uh, documenting things, uh, then sit back, reflect on your own thoughts, try to. Uh, try to go into deep in your feelings as well, uh, what motivates you throughout life, is it power, is it position, is it uh, what, what you want to do with your life, what's your, what's your purpose of your life, and if you, if you ask yourself these kind of questions, it will lead you really uh, nasty answers inside you, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, I think my, my main um, main answer for this is to dig into yourself, um, get the most out of you and, and think what, what, how can you um, how can you be a bit better a bit more ethical a bit more um, yeah, a bit more human, and if you, if you do this in parallel with, with talking about these kind of things with other people, I think that's the, that's the two ways that we can do um, or do these kind of uh, educational symposiums, it's, it's more on the public side. Brilliant.
2: And uh, what actions are you going to take in the near future to help this change along?
5: Uh, creating genuine conversations with people um, like it's a, it's a smaller scale uh, step by step guys step by step again focusing on my myself my my really close relations with people uh, friends um, new friends if any um and try to spread the word my main concern is talking about values uh, that's there's the hard bit uh, we can talk about sustainability we can talk about technology, Technical approach. We can talk about many, many uh, like things that technically would help and improve our lives, but it's all all the top of the iceberg. So there's much more deeper things that drives us uh, and leads us where we are now. And um, I think values would be the the core problem that we need to we would need to talk about. Fantastic.
6: However, this inherent bigotry is really only one part of a larger condition, which could be termed structural violence, illuminating a broad spectrum of inbuilt deprivation and humanity that is simply accepted as normality today by the uninformed majority. The bottom line here is that when we step back and consider the realities that are clearly having detrimental effects on the human condition, yet go unabated by the establishment we inevitably end up in the context of civil rights and hence social sustainability. This new civil rights movement is not only about sharing of human knowledge and our technical ability to resolve problems, but also to facilitate a new scientifically derived social system that actually optimises our well-being rather than restrict it. The fact is, anything less will create imbalance and is simply a hidden form of oppression.
2: So, Ivor,
7: what brings you here today? Uh, interest, intrigue, and wanting to be, be part of a movement and be part of change. I stumbled across guys a few months ago now, and didn't even about this event I thought, okay, excellent, let's uh, come along and find out what's happening here today, and... Who's talking and meet some new people, just like yourself, and feel more connected.
2: Fantastic. Uh,
7: say, how active
2: are you in social change right now?
7: Uh, I'm reasonably active. You're okay. i have got to Sorry. Um, uh, reasonably active. I, I belong to quite a few local groups, um, some of which I support more than others, but um, I'm still formulating my own path if you like which i have been for the last five or six years but that's getting very close to a, a conclusion and making sure that i make myself 100 percent active in social change social change and change is very much at the forefront of where i'm at and what i want to be doing um so yeah i'm pretty active i think
2: yeah mm. cool and uh, what actions are you going to take in the near future to help move this necessary change along
7: well, we've just, uh, just come out from uh, two talks, um, one talking um, uh, from positive money and talking about the uh, monetary system and that uh, interests me a lot. My background is financial services and I'm extremely interested in the economy and money creation. And the second talk was talking about uh, inequality and how yes. inequality has a huge impact on everything in our lives and actually tackling inequality has a direct positive impact on the planet, on social change and on us all living happier lives. So. For me, it's looking at those two and combining those two together. And actually, they're very closely intertwined anyway. So, yes, focusing on those two things, actually, which is fluke that they happen to be the first two talks from today.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you very
7: much. All right, it's a pleasure. Great to meet you.
8: Where does money come from? And it's a question that, although most of us spend most of our lives working for money, we rarely ask questions about where it actually comes from in the first place. So if I ask you now, um, who makes these? Who makes the coins in your pocket? Any guesses? Bank of England, close. It's it's the Royal Mint working on behalf of the government. Um, Who makes these? There's a clue on there, it says at the top. Bank of England. What happens if you make your own? Yeah, exactly, something like this, 2 AM one morning. but there's a twist in this story. So, so most people have this idea that only the government is allowed to create money. Um, the twist is that the government only creates the physical money, the coins and the notes. And that kind of physical money makes up only 3% of all the money that exists. So what about the other 97%? Well, firstly, what is that 97%? It's just numbers in computer systems. It's the... Um, the numbers that you see when you check your your bank balance on internet banking or the number at the end of your bank statement, Um, it has no physical form. It's just an electronic accounting entry in the computer systems of your bank. And um, who creates these numbers? It's not the Bank of England. It's the same banks that were implicated in the financial crisis. Every time that you take out a loan from a bank, that money isn't coming from somebody's life savings. It's actually new money that is created effectively out of nothing through some very simple accounting.
3: So David, what brings you here
9: today?
1: Well, I've been involved in the Zeitgeist Movement for about three and a half years now. Um, I realized quite soon, as well as um, the message uh, of TZM resonating with my own values, um, I also started to realise that my own educational background has something to do, something to offer uh, the movement. Uh, My degree is in geographic and land information management, which is really about the use of technology, geographic technology uh, uh, capture systems to actually integrate data on a global basis. Mm. And, of course, a geographic information system taken to its ultimate level would give you a global resource management system, which is, of course, the basis for um, the global operation of a uh, resource-based economy system. Um, So I've taken an interest in uh, the the concept of how we can use today's Technologies to actually start to move forward the transition, uh, not from a very idealistic point of view, but from a very practical point of view looking at how the technologies that I'm aware of, that I've worked with, might be part of a bigger picture of how we can actually start to progressively build the platform uh, of an economic model which can then actually start to circumvent the, uh, the monetary economic system and actually create a transitional model whereby people increasingly are getting their needs met more and more through this new system and have become less and less reliant on the monetary system to meet their core stable needs, their food needs their, their clothing, their housing and more and more the staples they need to live a quality of life hmm. Fantastic, uh, how active are you in social change right now? Um, well, I tend to get involved in the Facebook groups rather a lot. So I'm always uh, like seeding ideas in the various groups. Uh, I go on the, uh, the TZM UK Facebook page quite a bit. Um, I've got my own Facebook page, which I call the Economic Safety Net Group, which deals more with the transition uh, aspect of, of the Zeitgeist Movement. Um, but also go on to the Green Party. they have got a supporters group, which now numbers about 6,500 people. So I'm often going on there, seeding ideas about how we can actually start thinking more technically about integrating technologies and actually outgrowing our old institutions rather than pointlessly
2: fighting them.
8: Hmm.
2: Cool. And uh, what actions are you going to take in the near future to help move this necessary change along? Well I'd be finding out
1: how um, Jeremy Rifkin's um, Third Industrial Revolution Initiative is being adopted across the world, and uh, what I'd like to do is to explore ways um, of actually getting a citizens' cooperative together, getting a body of interested people like those in the Zeitgeist movement, like those who support Friends of the Earth, the Green Party, all the uh, pro-sustainability groups who are out there, and getting them involved in some kind of a, a cooperative with which they can crowdfund or they can get involved with to build some sort of foundation, and that can work in combination with the other bodies. Uh, industry bodies, academic bodies, political bodies, in helping to move forward a uh, third industrial revolution initiative for Great Britain, Mm. Uh, and once that happens, once we start getting um, communities that are becoming more autonomous in building their own renewable energy um, systems, I think that the consciousness and the awareness of building this more collaborative commons, uh, uh, egalitarian type society that can create an abundance outside the monetary system will be a natural consequence growing on
3: top of that platform. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Cool. Okay. I know about this, as the introduction says, because my brother, Richard Wilkinson, has been working on it for years and years. He and Big Pickett are epidemiologists. I've practiced saying that, epidemiologists. And it means people who study patterns of disease. But not, in this case, physical reasons for patterns of disease, but social and economic factors. So they've been together working for about 30 person years on this particular subject. And the work they present in that book which came out six years ago now was not just a description of their work but of hundreds of research projects by many dozens of different researchers. And I want to talk about it because I think we've got to a turning point in history where the quality of life is not improved by getting economic growth. Whatever the politicians say, they all say growth is what we want. It isn't. But it's improving the social environment in other ways, which I will explain. How good is our society? Well, we look pretty grumpy. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sad. Things are not good. We have very high levels of mental level In this stress, people dissatisfied, unhappy at work. If you hear, women's are, they have... Uh, programme
10: this last week about children, and more and more anxious, more and more worried about themselves. So, so it's going all the way through our So Tim, what brings you here today? Um, I'm here at Z-Day, the annual meeting of the Zeitgeist Movement in the UK. And it's a great chance to meet a lot of like-mind, like-minded people, and you know, I've learnt a lot today with the great lectures that we've had, and um, yeah, it's inspiring being around so many like-minded activists. Uh, how active are you in social change right now? Um, I'm doing the best I can while still being a student and you know, trying to make my way in this sort of capitalist world that we live in. But um, I'm involved in Liverpool and Manchester. I've been doing a lot of street, street awareness campaigns um, to talk to people about a, the problems with the current market system that we live in, and also discussing the possibilities of a sustainable future where everyone benefits. Mm. So I've been out in the street, um, to talk to people, and that's inspiring. Because everyone sort of knows deep down that there's something wrong with the way we're living at the moment. And, um, yeah, seeing the eyes sort of light up seeing to start to engage in conversation with them, Mm. it's inspiring, and... Ultimately this work, um, engaging in the community, it's building a bigger base of people, sort of like minded people, fighting uh, for social change and with this big group that's when we sort of come together, form our own sort of collective communities promoting its concepts of sharing it all sounds so basic but mm. basically trying to bypass this current sort of market system that's mm. causing you know pain and suffering to too many people at the moment
2: yeah and i suppose that leads on to my next question which is what actions are you going to take in the near future mm. to help move this change along
10: it sort of sounds like a empty answer but at the moment it's still so vital to keep raising ar- awareness of the the problems and solutions to the problems that we see today. I'm a musician myself, so ultimately it'll be you know, trying to promote these ideas and sort of train of thought through music, through you know, obviously just general activism and as I say, engaging in discussion with people, like normal people on the street. Um, that is immensely powerful because you can't do anything if have you know, enough numbers behind it. Couldn't agree, Bob. Thanks very much. Thank you.
3: Zooming out a bit more, if we go back
11: 20 years ago, here's the kind of stuff that a guy called Barry Ritzkoltz, a United States blogger, was using in his daily life. And there's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much of an exaggeration. He says this is what he used 20 years later, instead of all that stuff. Just one device. So he no longer needs to carry that heavy camcorder around that separate Polaroid camera, a Sony Walkman, a Palm Pilot, and so forth. And as I said, it's an exaggeration, but it shows what remarkable changes have been happening. And there are remarkable changes in other fields too. Just very quickly, some of you may recognize this uh, city. This is from just over 20 years ago. If you look closely, you might see some Chinese writing there. This is the Shanghai famous Bund, uh, Waterway. And uh, 20 years later, it looked like this. So it is remarkable what we humans can do if we put our minds to it. Just imagine if we put our minds to more constructive tasks. And, of course, the Chinese can do this even more quickly now. They can build one of these skyscrapers in a fraction of the time. Now, there's one view that says, yes, we've had remarkable change in the past, but it's sort of coming to an end. All the big things that need to have happened have happened. And here I'm quoting a view described by Kevin Kelly, who is a very wise writer on technology, and the co-founder of Wired, Some of you may read from time to time. And Kevin Kelly refutes this view. He says, relatively speaking, nothing big has happened yet. We're not even at the beginning of the changes that technology is going to bring us. We're just at the beginning of the beginning of all these kinds of changes. And he says that the next 20 years are going to make the last 20 years just pale in comparison. So if you think there's been a lot of change in the past... You can expect a lot more. And that's a view I certainly share too.
2: So, Jim, what brings you here today? Well, you, you just
4: invited me up from
2: downstairs to come and talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) I was
4: perfectly happy. I was having a drink, setting the world to rights, and then you came along and said, Come and talk with me upstairs. Oh, fuck. That
12: was a good answer,
4: okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's your first answer. No, uh, okay, now you're serious, Um, right? What brings me here? The fact that. I'm human, I landed on this planet, and, um, I didn't ask for how things were, so since then I've been trying to work out what the hell's going on and how to do shit better, because I don't don't really see what we're currently doing as, uh, the... Cornucopia of human achievement that everybody seems to think that it is. Love uh, that word. word. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I haven't actually ever used it before, so this interview's the first Yay, time. Yeah, I broke your cornucopia cherry, which <laughs> could be a cornucopia in itself. <laughs> anyway, uh, away from those issues and back to the serious business of uh, changing the uh, changing cultural the zeitgeist of uh, our era, um, which is why we're here today. The zeitgeist movement um, uh, just appealed to me. The idea that we need structural change and um, that we are uh, intrinsically tied to our environment unbelievably we weren't the only organism to be um, uh, agents of free will which when you think about it's astonishing everything else runs in accordance with the laws of the universe but apparently humanity got a free ride obviously that's a load of bullshit and so that and everything else that happens in our world has a causal effect in our social and economic system and i thought yeah that seems to make sense and science, it's bitches so yeah cool um <laughs> something like that
2: how active
4: are you in social change right now um as active as i possibly can be given the circumstances i try i try my best it's sort of um it keeps us going right Mm -hmm. sort of a bit of a fuel to carry on Mm
2: -hmm. carry on going so I mean what uh, what I suppose leads on to my next question is uh, what actions are you going to take in the near future to help move this change along
4: um I'm uh, going to hopefully go into schools and talk to kids about the technology that we currently have available to solve human and environmental problems Um, uh, that's currently not being administered even though the adult world turns around and says we have all these problems that we need to solve, Um, all these technological solutions exist, yet we are not using technological solutions to say, to to solve the problems that we say we need to solve, or... that's ludicrous it's like having a a nail with a piece of wood the hammer's sitting over there and you say we really need to hammer that nail into the wood you know (laughs) the kids are going well why don't you just pick up the hammer and they go we really need to hammer that nail into the wood you know and so the circle continues um, so I like going into the schools and talking to kids about that, because I think um, children just generally go, well, if you've got the resources to do it and the know-how to do it, why don't you just do it? But don't get all the contrivances and arbitrary separations that adults have been indoctrinated into thinking making make any sense. Mm. So um, that's good at the end of the day. I think if they grow up with that mindset, then they'll create their own future. Mm. At the end of the day, they'll do it anyway. It's nothing to do with us.
2: Cool. Well, thanks very much. Uh, Thank you very
4: much. We're often dismissed for taking this uh, educational standpoint because apparently that's not doing anything. But that's like saying we shouldn't bother training brain surgeons and just let them learn on the job instead. Our entire way of life was never designed to be sustainable. So, of course, there has to be an educational value shift before we can move to something worthy of the title of a sustainable global civilization. So, TZM is a sustainability advocacy group, which, let's face it, doesn't really sound all that unique nowadays, does it? Everyone seems to use the word sustainability to describe themselves or their business. Very often with the objective of selling more of their particular product, which, unless it's made out of thin air, kind of defeats the entire premise of what it means to be sustainable. A truly sustainable slogan might be, don't buy this. In fact, don't buy anything unless you absolutely need it, because buying things you don't need, with money you don't have, to make impressions that won't last on people you don't know, is not really going to help us be all that sustainable now, is it?
13: I like this one too. <laughs>
4: but save the seagulls. Think of them. The insane quest for infinite growth on a finite planet, plus the myriad of other negative effects mentioned thus far, should hopefully show that the general zeitgeist clearly has no fucking idea what sustainability is let alone how to achieve it
13: Suzanne, what brings you here today? Um, well I've known about zeitgeist for quite a few quite, a, quite a few years um, the zeitgeist movement actually inspired um, a social media platform that I launched in 2012 which is mu- very much to do with uh, kind of building kind of empathy and understanding across different cultures and a lot of the kind of the ethos behind the zeitgeist sort of inspired the thinking behind behind that and then I went to a talk uh, that was actually started by uh, the Occupy movement uh, about the universal basic income and I spoke to someone there and then they told me about a pub meet up in, in Euston and I met you guys and then yeah. The rest is history. And the rest is history, yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, how active are you in social change right now? Probably not as active as I should be, if I'm completely honest. I mean, I think... I mean, do you mean on, on a sort of on a sort of in direct relation to Zeitgeist? Well, yeah, to I, the mean, design guy's yeah I mean, what,
2: what sort of things do you do to help make the world a better place?
13: Well, I would say my work. So, t- so, so, So Tickle is very much based around using, I think you know, one of the mediums that we have today that can create really, really positive change is, is technology and social media in particular. And I think the way in which people use social media at the moment is is quite narrow and, and, and limited. Um, so it kind of a tickle. the idea is kind of using it to sort of kind of broaden people's horizons and I don't know. So yeah mainly through through my work basically mm-hmm. but um, other than that um, I mean I go to quite a few different kind of sort of activist kind of protests I'm quite sort of involved with the kind of, a lot of the kind of Occupy movement stuff but um, yeah I don't know.
2: cool and uh, what actions are you what action or actions are you going to take in the near future to help move this change along um,
13: I'm planning a project at the moment, which I think I've emailed you about. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not really talking about publicly, but it's called it's called Glimpse. But it's it's to do with a glimpse of the future, and I think there's we're at a, a kind of a cusp at the moment where people are starting to recognise not just in this country but recognise all around the world that we're on. I don't know,
2: but
8: a tipping point there's a
13: kind of tipping point i think and i think um so yeah glimpse is going to be a kind of an amalgamation of of those different voices from of, from around the world basically but yeah, cool. that's all i think say at the moment, but, cool. thanks very but much just...
1: but firstly what might be the logical long-term route map for the future of humanity does the natural law resource-based uh, economy represent a final utopian end game for human endeavor or is it merely an intermediate step on a much bigger journey? String theory co-founder, Dr. Michio Kaku, often refers to the Kardashev scale as a clarifying benchmark to put humanity's future stages in some perspective. In their search for extraterrestrial intelligence, astrophysicists use the Kardashev scale to classify possible civilizations that might have had a head start over us, measuring hundreds, thousands, or millions of years the scale uses three theoretical categories according to levels of energy and information capacity achieved. Type 1 is a planetary civilization, one that has harnessed the entire energy content of its home planet and attained levels of engineering capability allowing control over its and all its natural forces, including the climate, weather and global seismic activity in popular sci-fi, the world of Buck Rogers. Type 2 is a stellar civilization, one that has harnessed the entire power of its mother star, has the capacity to re-engineer its entire solar system and to meet its needs, has access to neighbouring star systems. Think the world of Star Trek. Type 3 is a galactic civilization, one that's harnessed the power of its entire galaxy and learned to manipulate the fabric of space-time as a logistical system, the world of Star Wars. On this scale, (coughs) Jacques Fresco's resource-based economy is a Type 1 civilization, as it could appear if constructed with today's technology, illustrating that this is not a utopian vision, but one of many logical milestones in a process that would take us out into the stars, keeping us busy and perpetually on the move for perhaps millions of years. Stephen Hawking advises us it would be foolish to keep all humanity's eggs in one planetary basket by stopping at a Type 1. Our planet's vulnerability to extinction-level impacts is well understood, and eventually our own sun will no longer be able to sustain life. Today's divided world still relying on dead plants and for energy is a type 0.7 civilization. Michio Kaku estimates that we will reach type 1 status in between 100 and 200 years from now, if we can get through our adolescent growing pains quickly enough to avoid destruction at the hands of our own inertia, short-sightedness and folly. From inventor Raymond Kurzweil's perspective, the singularity is perhaps only 30 years away a point in history where the ever-accelerating pace of technological advancement exceeds humans' ability to comprehend it at a time at which we will start to need to interface with it ourselves in order to actually have the intelligence to manage it. So, the goal of our generation is to get safely past the four horsemen ushering out the old paradigm through the type 0.8 and 0.9 stages, and arrive at a type 1 civilization in one
2: piece. So, Alina, what brings you here today?
14: Um, well, mainly curiosity. I've heard a little bit about, I guess, movement from my friends and my ex mates. So, I'm a little bit familiar with the ideas. So, um, that is, well, that agrees with my view of what should happen or could happen, what would be great. So, I just wanted to learn more and to see what, um, what stands behind the idea. So what actions can we actually do
12: mm-hmm.
14: and how it can turn because like every idea is great but how to do that? That's
2: true, uh, that is true. So that, part le- part. so that leads me on to the next one. Uh, what actions uh, do you currently use to mm-hmm. advocate this change? What, what sort of things are you involved with right now?
14: Um, I'm quite concerned about the uh, environmental issues so... Um, I do a lot of recycling. I try not to buy excess things that I don't need. Uh, we did some sharing of the resources that we have. So, for example, I have a camera so I can share with my friends. Someone else has a printer so we can share it so I don't have to buy my own. Um, I try to share the idea with, uh, with friends and colleagues. Um, and, well, I want to get a little bit more involved into, let's say, spreading this, like sharing the awareness that actually the change is possible and that you can do small little things that actually do make a, a big difference hmm. oh well maybe that cool.
2: <laughs> so uh, in terms of uh, what you're going to be doing, uh, mm-hmm. what, um, what actions are you going to be uh, going to be undertaking to help mm-hmm. this change along in the near future
14: um, well I would like to be involved uh, with let's say educational power so with speaking with people especially young people who soon will be the, the biggest force let's say of change that to actually share the awareness of how it, how it looks like now how it can look so they, they have a choice do they want to follow the old way or do I want to make a difference and um, well I want to also learn more about like how is it possible what to do Because I still, okay, I know a little bit, but I still know that it's not quite enough what I would like to know. Hmm. But I can also help with translation and like with organizing part of like events or things like that, because I have quite a lot of experience in that. Mm -hmm. So I can share my own ideas about that. And well, I just like the idea that people do something to to make a better change. So I want to be a part and I want to share something of my own. To make it happen easier, smoother, or with more fun (laughs) in every way.
3: (laughs) That's the spirit. Thank you very much.
14: You're welcome. Thanks (laughs) as (laughs) well.
6: The question is are we, as a species, moving in the right direction? And how do we measure such a thing? Is there a benchmark that can guide us? Yes, it exists in our alignment with the natural laws of our world in the most fundamental sense building our values and social approaches from these core truths about what it means to be human and live in the habitat we do. Take a look at the current monetary market economy and ask yourself, is it pro-Earth? Is built-in scarcity, imbalance, obsolescence, waste, pollution, constant competition, the intelligent management of the Earth's resources?
9: So Stephen, what brings you here today? Um, so, well obviously I came to do the filming, um, but I have been a member of the Sideguys movement for about five years or so, so, um, yeah, it's always good to see what's going on in the movement. hmm
2: Cool. And, uh, how active are you in social change right now?
9: Uh, so right now I'm working on a website called Democratic Intelligence. It's democratic intelligenceorg and uh, it's a basically it's a group decision-making system um, it came about uh, through a competition that I entered um, I gave the idea people liked it so I figured I'd create this website so
2: yeah, cool. Okay, and uh, what actions are you going to be putting into into motion in in the very near future to continue
15: to
9: help move this change along? Okay, so the Democratic Intelligence um, website, um, I'm hoping that a lot of people will join it so that um, together people can make group decisions about change. Um so, yeah, so my, my next activities will, once the site is live, I'll be advertising it, um, making videos, and um, just talking to people, and, mm-hmm. and seeing what happens.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Cool. Um,
8: so what we're saying is that law should be updated, and there's three key things that need to happen. First, you need to take the power to create money away from the banks and return it to some kind of transparent, democratic, accountable body. Now, um, we know from history you can't trust the banks with the power to create money, but most people would not trust these guys either. Um, politicians would have... If you, if you give politicians the power to print money, they have the same incentives as the banks to create too much. You know, Before every election, you'll see huge amounts being created uh, paying for white elephants and whatever they think will win votes. Um, so you need to separate two parts of the decision. One is how much money should be created. And that decision needs to be based on what the whole economy needs, not uh, the needs of one particular industry or the the banking sector. Um, Second decision is what is that money going to be used for? And what we're saying is there should be a a money creation committee that looks at the whole economy and decides how much money should we create to keep the economy uh, running, to keep people employed, Uh, to create jobs. Um, That may be at the Bank of England, but it may be something completely new that's set up. Uh, The important thing is it's completely, it needs to be as transparent and accountable to the public as possible. And then, when they create money, it would be transferred to the government. And then, uh, although there's many, many problems with the way democracy works in this country and and every other country, um, at least the government has some kind of mandate to choose how to spend this newly created money. They could get it into the economy uh, either through more government spending. So uh, it it could be building affordable houses. It could be any kind of uh, government services that they provide. They could reduce taxes on everybody below uh, a living wage, for example. So if you don't earn more than the living wage, you don't pay any tax. Uh, They could even just divide the money up between everybody equally, give everybody an equal share. Um, And that option is usually quite popular when we do a show of hands. Um, Okay, so when they did quantitative easing, uh, the Bank of England created £375 billion of new money, but it pumped it into the financial markets, and it only really resulted in, because it's not easy to read, but it only actually resulted in about £30 billion of additional spending in the real economy. So so about £30 billion of additional employment and... um, and and, real value creation, most of the money stayed in the financial markets where it pushed up stock prices, benefiting the richest 10%, but doing very little for everybody else. Um, If you allowed the government to create money in the way that we're suggesting and they get that money into the real economy instead, you would only need 10 billion pounds of new money created to result in the same... Impact is that 375 billion that they created after the crisis. So it's far more powerful. It creates more jobs. It creates more employment. Um, it gets the economy going again uh, without the impact on, you know, making the rich even richer that quantitative easing has had. Okay. Okay. The next thing is you need to create this money free of debt. So in the current system, money is only created when people borrow. In Uh, the system that we're advocating, money will be created without anybody actually having to go further into debt. And what this means is instead of having this catch-22 situation where you can either have more money and more debt or less debt but less money, you can actually change the dynamics. As uh, as the state is creating new money, that money can come into the economy and it can be used to pay off the existing debts that we have. So you could really uh, pay down existing household and personal debt. Um, there would still be a role for banks, but they would actually be middlemen between savers and borrowers. They would no longer have this power to create money, um, and they wouldn't have so much influence over the economy either. And then the final thing that you need to do is make sure that that new money that has been created goes directly into the real economy. So, you know, when banks have the power to create money, most of the money goes into the housing sector, the financial markets, and um, on personal loans and, and credit cards. Uh, What we need to make sure happens is that either money goes through investment into businesses or it goes directly into people's pockets so that they can spend it in the real economy.
15: So, Lawrence, what brings you here today? The change needs to take place. Like, it needs to happen. There needs to be a massive change in what we function as so i'm here to put my input in as best as i can mm-hmm. cool and uh, and on on that topic uh, what sort of uh, efforts of social change are you engaged in at the moment what are you involved with right now this is actually my first ever zeitgeist meeting but as of now i will recruit more people i will go to more functions because they are literally eye opening in every way. Like everything that they said is so relevant, and not enough people know about it because either they don't choose to listen to it or they ignore it. It's just it needs to happen. So, yeah, I will put all of my. All of my effort into it. So mm.
2: and, uh, and in terms of uh, putting in your effort, I mean, uh, what, sort, what sort of things uh, are you going to be putting effort into? Is, is there specific um, ideas for things that you're going to do that you already have in mind yet?
12: Well,
15: the first thing will be to attend more events because they're extremely important and they literally do open your eyes about the things that are happening and the things that will happen. So I will get more of my friends engaged, I will attend more events, I will go to walks, I will hand out flyers on the street because it literally needs to happen. Like, there's no reason why it shouldn't happen because it is a massive deal and people need to start being more conscious of that. So, yeah. Cool. I'm there. Thank you very much, Lauren. Thank you.
3: So, more equal societies are more cohesive, have a stronger community life, they recycle more, Go by bike more, they produce less CO2, they want their governments to apply international agreements and they give more of their income in, in aid. How do we get to greater equality of incomes? Well, we could go what I nickname the Swedish said so it doesn't matter how much people get paid in, we'll reduce the income differences by having lots of benefits at the bottom. And high taxation at the top. And that works after a fashion. It has two disadvantages. One is that if somebody's being paid ten million, <coughs> it's not very easy to reduce them to say two hundred thousand. <coughs> Somebody who's better at the arithmetic than me will work out that it be you'd be taxing with about ninety five percent. Like and nobody would probably accept that. The other thing is that if the government comes along and says, okay, we'll produce that. The next government can come along and reverse it. That's the or you can have what I call the Japanese solution, which is that there are smaller differences in income before tax. Now that may be better, we can get to that, because <coughs> it does reflect a sense of equality more and it's less easy to reverse. We think that the workplace is the best place to really make a difference, for lots of reasons. The status of our job is very important to us. Somebody's position in society is very largely determined by what job they have. Our power and position at work, people spend a lot of time at work every day every week, and that's where they experience power differences and our income and spending power derived directly from our work. So that's where we need to address it. This is a little graph which I'll show you very quickly. Um, we see the top graph is income difference, and it's highest at the beginning, and then it dropped in the middle years, and then went up again, and it's exactly reverse of the trade union. Numbers, numbers in trade unions. So when trade unions are strong, income differences seem to be different. How could we get there? Some policies? Well, economic democracy would turn companies from being a piece of the property into communities and we think it could reduce pay ratios, transform it to the areas of work, redistribute wealth and improve productivity. These are measured facts about more economic, democratic countries. There are lots of them, and quite a lot of different models. And here are some suggestions as to how a government could influence our workplaces <coughs> to make them more democratic and moving them towards a more equal society.
2: So Daniel, what what brings you here today to Zedon? Yeah.
16: What brings me here is uh, I wanted to learn more about what the guys had to say, really, all of the speakers, you know, um, about uh, epidemiology, about social change. I wanted to know about a different way of uh, of thinking about our social problems instead of thinking about them as political problems, thinking about them as... I don't know technical problems, maybe as things which can be engineered differently, and that systems are what they produce, not what they, not what I want them to produce. Mm. So it's a bit like code in a way. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be like oh I want the code to end up this way. It's going to be whatever the code was written. We'll have that out, mm. as a uh, PJ would say.
2: Cool. And uh, what actions are you currently involved with in terms of social change? What sort of things are you involved with in the moment?
16: Well, not much, but I've been involved with permaculture. I'm investigating hydroponics and aquaponics, which I'm looking to get more um, more involved with and um, just to set up my own place where I can start growing stuff. I'd love to also get, you know, in my, in my neighbourhood, I'd love to start growing as well. Just to take off a little bit of burden from the local people just so that they can have something like a front garden where you can say, like, you know, help yourself to some, uh, I don't know, peppers or help yourself to some tomatoes, something like that, just because uh, I thought that um, ideas are a bit like seeds in a way. I study horticulture, so I'm I'm into growing stuff, garden maintenance. So they're a bit like, uh, ideas are a bit like seeds. You know, you spread them. Who knows, maybe I do that. Someone else will follow. It's contagious, hopefully, anyway.
2: Cool, and that uh, kind of leads us into the, uh, the last question which is uh, what actions are you going to be uh, you know, putting into into practice in the near future to help contribute towards this social change I mean, well, what, what's on the horizon for you well hopefully
16: joining in um, with the trend that uh, James Phillips has set with going into schools, universities talking about not necessarily the zeitgeist movement, but talking about the the train of thought, talking about sustainability, using science as a method, and um, well, that really cool.
2: Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you.
11: The challenges ahead, and there are kind of three big challenges ahead. Three big questions. It's probably in your mind by this stage. The first is, okay, we might be put out of our present job. You know, we might have been a checkout assistant. Maybe we can't do that job anymore. But can't we retrain, you know? Can't we go and learn something new? After all, this has happened in the past. After all, 200 years ago in this country, there were many people complaining about the growth of automated weaving. There was the Luddites who complained about it and said it's putting them out of jobs. And they managed in the end to get new jobs. Maybe not them, but their children got new jobs in other kinds of factories. Eventually, some of them became software engineers. Eventually, some of them became stylish hairdressers and so on. So can't people retrain? Won't there be new jobs? And I think, yes, today, many humans are able to retrain. But you know what? As robots are getting better and better, as that pace of improvement gets faster, I think that in some relatively near time, perhaps 10 years perhaps 15 years, perhaps 20 years most people, if they try and retrain, if they take two years out to learn a new skill, they will find that in the meantime, robots have got better than them, so they thought they were going to do a new job but robots have got better than them faster so that's why this is going to be different from all the previous times in history, that's why there's more of a threat here, and I think there will still be uh, some number of human jobs, but probably not very many because some people say, all right, I'm being put out of work by some software, but, you know, I can go and become a software writer. But you don't need so many people writing the software. If you look at, uh, let's say some accounting software by Intuit. Intuit's a manufacturer of tax preparation software. There used to be maybe, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of tax accountants around the, around the place. And Intuit came along and wrote their own tax software. And their leaders, the founders of Intuit, became very rich indeed. But you don't need the same hundreds of thousands of people to be doing that. So there's many fewer jobs available by this winner-takes-all dynamic. So I'm saying here perhaps less than 25%. This guy here, Larry Page, who is the CEO and founder of a Google, says that probably maybe 90% of the jobs that people are doing, uh, there really not, no point in doing them soon. It'd be much He said, wouldn't the world be a happier place if 90% of the people with jobs put their feet up instead and left the robots to do their work? This is in an interview in the Financial Times late last year. It's worth looking at a few more things he said. He said, same as I've just said, that rapid improvements in artificial intelligence, for instance, will make computers and robots adept at most jobs. Given the chance to give up work, nine out of ten people wouldn't want to be doing what they're doing today. And would they regret losing their jobs? And he says, you know, this can't be the right answer. Just people wanting to get work, even if it's inefficient, even if it's uh, just to keep themselves earning, this can't be the right answer. That brings us back to, well, what is that right answer? How can we distribute sufficient income resources from the abundance that these robots will be creating, from all the things that they'll be doing? Surely we should find a way to distribute that to everyone in society. And that brings us to the very last slide. I do think that as well as embracing some of this technological possibility, as well as steering it, we need to work very hard on developing a new social contract. Some people call it UBI, Universal Basic Income, which means that uh, people will get enough to have a a good life, regardless of whether or not they are courts working or not. I don't think we're going to get there straight away. I saw that only one political party made a serious discussion of UBI in the latest election, the Green Party, and they were sort of taken to bits by aggressive uh, interviewing because they couldn't really explain how they are going to achieve it step by step, and so they stopped talking about it for this election cycle. I don't think it's going to come in overnight, but it can be achieved in stages. Many transitional details need to be worked out, but I say let's put our brains into working that out. Let's have a grand Apollo-scale project an Apollo-scale project such as it was used to unite lots of effort to put a man on the moon and bring him back in the 1960s. We had an Apollo-scale project in this country in the 1940s, the second half, when we put the National Health Service in place, a grand social reorganisation. We need to work on the similar details to transition to something similar for everyone. And it's not just a change in law, it's a change in zeitgeist, a change in mindset, a change in values that's needed, because today when you start discussing this, most people say, you know, we can't give people money for doing nothing. They're just going to be lazy. They should be pitied. They should be, they're undeserving. But I think there's so much evidence against this. Now that we understand more about the brain, now that we understand more about the psychology, there's lots of evidence that uh, people actually can do great things with, uh, with the help of a, a, a income support. And look at J.K. Rowling, who was on a child benefit as she wrote Harry Potter. That may or may not be your idea of the best books ever, but it shows, and uh, what can be done. So I think more and more of us will be in this situation, and I see finally that the requirement for employment, which many people have dearly wanted to have, many people have long fought for employment, I say this applies only in the initial phase of humanity. I'm looking forward to something called Humanity Plus. Humanity Plus, in which we don't need to work, in which the fruits of robotic uh, work, the fruits of energy from the sun, the fruits of green technology will be able to be distributed to everybody. The best is ahead, but we've got a big social project to work on first. So if we can navigate safely, we'll get there.
2: So Simon, what brings you here today?
17: Um, Well, I went to the Berlin meeting not long ago, and... uh, I decided I've always known about the zeitgeist movements and I've always had an idea to get involved but never actually took the plunge I just wanted being a passive observer sort of thing because it pretty much holds similar values to myself and uh, I've always uh, hoped that them my time would sound a bit cheap but I was hoping the mu- movement would get bigger and uh, I'd, I'd get involved today, rather than get involved and make it bigger myself <laughs> <laughs> a bit bit, bit so in that sense. but uh, I've, I've had things going on and I'm just in the process now of figuring out how much time I can apply to it really
2: Cool um, How active are you in social change right now? What sort
17: of things are you involved with? Um Well, I'm involved with a community farm project in Eastleigh just outside of Southampton and that's like up to 150 people sharing two acres of land from a farmer and we all work as a team to grow our own produce. Uh, We have like a stakehold we've got to pay, something like £10 each for the year but uh, to recoup money back for the produce we, we say pay 10 or 20 pence per pound on whatever's grown as well as donating a bit of labour. So, um, yeah, being active with that, I'm I'm, I'm hoping to get active in more things similar to take away, to bring food production as well as other things back locally rather than going uh, on the internet for them and whatnot, you know. Cool.
2: Well, I mean, that that kind of leads into the uh, next question I was going to ask is uh, what actions are you going to actually be taking in the near future to help along with this social change? What sort of things are you going to be getting involved with?
17: Um, I'm not, I haven't really put a f- nail on the head with that just yet. I'll probably more, it will focus more on things that I that I'm kinda, that I'm interested in directly that I, I could manipulate yeah, and correct. hopefully lead lead to a change <laughs> to a degree. But because uh, if it, if I tried to just obviously initially I'm open to just help somebody with their project. Uh, and, and gauge an idea about the project length and, and how things work, and maybe get, get gather information, get get some ideas, and whatnot. How things will function in such such a uh, such a project, but. Uh, because said the problem that everybody has is to maintain in this current system you need to work and you have things going on, your family demands, your friends demands. Don't currently have a relationship demand, so I have more uh, time available than most. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I hope to m- commit some more time in the future.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Simon.
4: The question should never be, do we have the money to solve problems? It should always be, do we have the know-how and the resources to do so? And the answer to that question is yes, we do. The technological approach is often counterintuitive to how it relates to seemingly unrelated human problems. Think back to driverless cars. With approximately 1.2 million people dying on the roads of this planet every year, can we really say these deaths have no negative effects on society? Obviously not. But instead of solving this issue technically, we pass laws and imprison the guilty party so that it never happens again. But that's just it. It does happen again. Again and again and again. It's our system that's doing this to us. And it must be overcome before it overcomes us. So we need your help in any of these areas, please. But if you don't want to fly our flag, no problem. Please do pick up someone else's who looks like they're roughly going the same direction and who is doing it for, for a bit more than just the money. Because, in the wise words of my good friend Ben McLeish, if you're only doing it for the money, it was probably not worth doing to begin with. A common objection to this train of thought is that we'll never get everyone to agree, to which I would say you're absolutely right. But an awful lot of people don't agree with this system. They still have to endure it, simply because they don't have a better idea. What? if they did we've changed before and we can do it again studies show that if 10% of a population want to run with an idea then the rest will start to follow but let's entertain the very real possibility that this may actually never come about now what are you going to do? go back to watching X Factor shopping and pretending everything's okay? okay Or embrace the idea that life is a journey, not a destination, and refuse to give up or compromise on what you know makes sense and say, my integrity is worth more than that. Besides, our problems will not end when we get to this world because it's not a utopia, there's no such thing, there never has been and there never will be. It's just going to be a damn sight better than what we have now. Ideas matter, and once properly questioned and understood, this idea is definitely one worthy of spending at least some of the only currency you've ever really had in your brief time here on Spaceship Earth. A currency which you are in fact parting with, as I say these words to you, right now. Time. Thank you for spending some of yours with us today.
2: So, Yashik, what brings you here today?
12: Well, first of all, you can say that the the Z-Day, the London Z-Day event, but honestly, the Z-Day was just a pretext to come to the Zeitgeist chapter in the UK and finally meet the people here because uh, some years ago I went on a tour around Europe and we visited many chapters in the in Europe wow we stayed at the people's uh, homes we uh, took part in the events we had a lot of interesting conversations and discussions but we never actually made up to, to the UK chapter mm-hmm. because of the, of the, you know, the, the distance and the water d- dividing the two mm-hmm. uh, pieces of land. So finally, I am making up for that. Yeah, that's
2: cool. Um, so, what are you currently engaged in right now in terms of social change? What sort of things? Uh, how active are you? Mm-hmm. What sort of things you're involved in?
12: Well. I used to be very active in the Zaggis movement in Poland. Now it's, it has changed um, in a way that uh, many of the things that I do right now maybe uh, don't really involve the name of the Zagas movement but I try to actively put out this information out there for example the people I work with when I speak with them uh, and the people in the the streets or in the events that I participate in Uh, I I usually even if I don't want to I end up having a conversation about social changes (laughs) and I also uh, try to um, produce quality educational materials that, for people to use because I know that I can only talk to just so many people in my uh, life so I want to start creating educational materials that will live on their own and that they will reach uh, people on, them, uh, on their own so mm-hmm. that uh, I don't even have to be there they can just watch it themselves and uh, maybe be persuaded by what I have to say Hmm. That's cool. Well,
2: it uh, kind of uh, bleeds into the uh, so sort of the next question I was asking because you said you wanted to create educational videos. Um, in terms of like you know your future projects, uh, what are there any specific kinds of topics that you want to mm-hmm. cover with these videos? Yeah, like, I
12: would like uh, first of all, uh, I would like to uh, take a point about or make a point about the form I would like to do it in because. Right now, I think that the best uh, form in which I, uh, we, me, uh, probably will not be enough, so that's why I say we, some people that will help me with that, would be in the form of a MOOC, so a uh, massive online open course. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, there are two basic topics that I would like to cover, because I think they are equally important. One is uh, obviously uh, the, the system of uh, socio-economic uh, the alternative socio-economic system which is the resource based economy and the other one is uh, uh, this activism organization because although many people are experts on how this new socio-economic system might look like uh, many of us lack the skills and the knowledge and the experience on how to form a group how to sustain a glu- group how to actually get people more involved in uh, doing uh, what they are very good at, but they may not actually recognize it themselves. So these two topics would... I don't know how... Qualified and uh, at that, I think I still have a lot to learn. I don't, I'm for sure not an expert in neither of these uh, uh, subjects, but I know that together with the right group of people, we are able to, to achieve that, create those moves. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
3: And so rises the third industrial
1: revolution, defined by the integration of the operating platform of the three internets energy in the form of distributed renewables running through smart grids, managed peer-to-peer via the Internet of Energy. Communication, a maturing Internet of Communication, offering a powerful social commons, massive open online courses and platforms for digital democracy. Logistics comes from automated driverless vehicles and goods retrieval systems. Localised production using 3D printing, managed peer-to-peer via the Internet of Things. Consciousness is now split level, both localised for efficient autonomous productivity and globalised for responsible citizenship of the biosphere as a whole. The millennial generation are showing a trend of abandoning the desire for ownership in favour of access. For renewable energy, the wind blows and the sun shines everywhere and requires distributed, laterally scaled and collaborative architecture to harness them rather than the old, inefficient, centralised, vertically scaled model from the second industrial revolution. Information goods can now be instantly shared globally, including education universities now offer massive open online courses enabling the best lecturers to run degree courses to classes with thousands of students distributed worldwide flattening knowledge hierarchies. Ever more sophisticated physical products can also be developed and shared via global open source networks as we've heard earlier today. Downloaded and 3D printed locally using recycled waste materials as feedstocks with less specialist skills needed locally. The field of 3D printing has expanded to uh, include, sorry, has expanded to include contour crafting, as we've seen, an automated technique for house building and bioprinting, the automated manufacture of organ tissue for medicine, driverless vehicles, drones, and sensors freely connect everyone with everything, cutting out the middlemen. The advent and integration of these technologies is giving birth to the Internet of Things. More people, enabled by ever-smarter wizards, apps, and analytics, become prosumers producers as well as consumers of goods and services. New food production technologies such as Douglas Millett's cybernetic farm systems will enable the Internet of Things to expand to cover food production as well. Hence, large centralised corporations are losing the advantage that economy of scale and scarcity once gave them over small local producers and will need to outgrow their inefficient second industrial revolution architecture in order to survive at all as the years come. New communications platforms such as vocalised digital democracy engage communities directly in the process of arriving at key decisions organically and will render obsolete the ironclad brontosaurus of the centralised left-right divided government institution. More and more goods and services are thus being ephemeralised in the words of R. Buckminster Fuller and made available to an increasingly internet-connected world at approaching zero marginal cost placing them outside the control of the market system beyond money itself. We've already seen this revolution in homemade music videos, blogs and newsletters, putting many companies out of business. And as the internet of energy and things develop and integrate, we'll see it increasingly with electricity and physical goods as well. The open source community emerging from this paradigm is known as the collaborative commons, the embryonic resource-based economy. Non-profit sector hosting this commons has been growing by 13% per annum Since since 2008, whilst the market economy has more or less stagnated. The Third Industrial Revolution Master Plan was developed over 11 years in a partnership between Jeremy Rifkin and a consortium of top business and political leaders. It is designed as a nodal system for regions to transition into a progressive, sustainable energy economies through collaboration. The five pillars of the CIR are, firstly, convert into renewable energy uh, economy, secondly, convert buildings into solar and wind microgenerators, resulting in a distributed, democratised peer-to-peer energy grid. Three, install a hydrogen battery system for storing surplus energy for later use. Four, install an internet of energy smart grid infrastructure, enabling the internet to share home-produced energy in the same peer-to-peer fashion as information is today. And five, install a network of recharge points for electric vehicles to replace fossil fuel powered logistics. The initiative has been formally endorsed by the EU, the UN, and TIR master plans have been developed for Germany, Denmark, Utrecht in the Netherlands, pas de Calais in France, Italy, and Monaco. Uh, it was just a question, mainly for the guy from the Futurists. Uh, you mentioned about this sort of advance in AI.
6: Do you think that as the machines become more
11: intelligent than humans, that they'll actually start deciding what to do for themselves? Well that depends how much uh, freedom and autonomy we want to give them and I think that's a very difficult uh, question because uh, uh, if we don't give them all the relevant knowledge they may take decisions without uh, appreciating some of the stuff that we regard as common sense but we haven't managed to program into them. So I think for the time being we should use them as tools rather than turning them into another intelligent species in their own right. So we'll feed them information, they'll give us lots of suggestions, and then we must take the decisions rather than them taking the decisions for us. Some people may want to cut corners and say it's going to be faster if the computers make the decisions without humans, but I think we must say, no, let's I make mean, sure we are still part of that loop. And if we can do that, then uh, computers will serve us and be our uh, enablers and be positive rather than the risks of them doing what we asked them to do but not what we intended to ask them to do.
2: So there we have it, folks. That was Z Day London 2015. Uh, it was truly awesome experience. I, you know, met some really awesome people. Um, learned a learned a hell of, like a hell of a thing, hell of a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to start looking into uh, Jeremy Rifkin's work and uh, Michaud Kaku's work um, about uh, you know the third industrial revolution and the you know the, the type one civilization because you know they, it a lot of people get caught up in the idea that a resource-based economy is an end result in of itself but it's not because there are, as as uh, David um, Dave Lucas uh, explained in his talk there are many levels above that that are actually possible um, considering the exponential growth of technology but um, you know that that's something that I'm really going to start sinking my see- teeth into soon. Um, but yeah, I, uh, uh, I mean, there, there's things that I was talking with people about um, that I uh, I really found uh, insightful, and they found them insightful. And you know, there were things that even I, um, even I, you know, had certain ideas in my head about uh, different things that frustrate me at different points. Um, like for example, the inactivity of the Maidstone chapter, despite my efforts of trying to, you know, energize it into action. Um, but uh, but yeah, the um, but yeah I learned that how I was actually behaving is possible, uh, you know, towards the the chapter has possibly been almost like. Like, I'm assuming some sort of paternal role, and I'm saying to people, Hey there, guys, um, there's there's an event here, um... You know, if if you want to come along, then you know, then I can offer a lift and blah blah de, blah de, blah, and uh, and I've not been leaving much for people to to do themselves. You know, I've tried to make it as easy as possible, and that can kind of be off-putting, especially for um, for something that by its inherent nature uh, requires the culmination of the. Um, of the self-guided uh, incentive to take right action, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, you'll have to. I'm a bit scatterbrained at the moment because it's, it's just been a long day, and uh, you know, it's a uh, lot to lot to absorb. But, uh but
15: yeah it was uh it was great to
2: to see a lot of people come together and uh and really discuss you know things you know with, without any harsh words or you know or any uh, any strong um you know disagreement or anything a lot you know we were pretty much on the same page all all of us i think um the uh it's, it's just we're all we're all at different levels of, of awareness about this because we've emerged out of a sick culture, you know, the, the culture that we that we live in right now. It's a massively, massively sick culture, and um, and it's it's not surprising considering the kinds of things that have had to culminate to justify the, this this current system. I mean, how do we justify the act of global warfare? And just accepting that as just the way it is. How twisted the values have to become to see that as, yeah, we get, yeah, we said, to and not just accept it, but applaud it and promote more of it. You know, there, there was a conversation that I had with uh, with some um, some young cadets uh, in my in my local uh, local co-op because they were, um, I think they were like, you know, trying to raise some support for something they were doing um but uh, but yeah i decided to ask them a few questions for a podcast and um you know i've let them know it beforehand it was all um it was all going to be like shared on a podcast and you know i'm going to paint an objective picture of the, of the situation <laughs> and uh one of the questions that i asked uh these kids is that uh I mean, I kind of phrased it wrong to begin with so maybe they might have been given the wrong impression by the question um, but a question is a question and uh, and I said, uh, do you think there will always be a military? and uh, and I said, well yeah and, uh, and I said, okay, well how about do you think there should always be a need for a military? to which he responded, yeah and I'm like Okay. Uh we're done some next one. Uh I just could not believe it. But yeah, that's that's how twisted values have become. Um, that we that we justify increasingly uh more immoral stuff because we don't question the way things are and um and yeah, they it's it's just strange, but uh but, Speaking to people on their own level uh, because it's my level as well. It's really an enriching experience, and um, you know, I talk to a lot of people. And uh, so, yeah, the uh, so I guess you know this would mean that I would need to provide my answers uh, for those questions that I've been asking people all evening. And um, the first one: what brings me here today? Well, to Z Day. The opportunity to network with other like-minded activists who are willing to be actually active in uh, in social change to actually do something and uh, and a sustained um, effort to uh, to make the world a better place. And I know that Z Day is a perfect perfect you know opportunity for that because you know I advocate um, you know the kind uh, the kind of train of thought. That, um, that the vast majority of them, um, you know, advocate as well. You know, it's um, you know, the, the, the train of... When I, and when I refer to the train of thought just there, I mean, you know, the kind of things that they would advocate at that point in time. You know, because, uh, you know, some people, uh, you know, some advocates are, you know, um, advocates of uh, gun rights, and uh, some advocates... Are not so. There's 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 little differences in, uh, in individual perceptions. but the underlying train of thought we're all we're all on board. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, the uh, so, so that's basically what brings me here today. Uh, second question: um, How active am I in social change? Uh, okay. Um, if you're watching this on my YouTube channel, then uh, then you will see um, the vast majority of all the stuff that I've done, or, or at least videos about the stuff, uh, stuff other stuff that I've done. Um, started off, uh, I think it was like six years ago. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you a general overview. Um, six years ago, um, started becoming active. Um, started my own podcast show. I've uh, been doing that monthly ever since, um, I've also expanded out into, like, a uh, documentary, um, other police videos that I've done where I've been megaphoning out in, uh, Maidstone Town Centre and other, and other, other places where there are a lot of people to hear a good message and, uh, to, you know, also teach me things as well if, if they want to, um, But yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. Um, There's all the uh, all the stuff that I've been doing with uh, the Occupy movement. Uh, I've been helping those those people out. Um, But yeah, I've been doing presentations, uh, more podcasts. Uh, I've also um, done a uh, like trilogy of uh, of short films. but firstly, the, the idea was that uh, they like no longer than five minutes each. But I've kind of broken that with uh, with the last one, It was like seven minutes or something. Um, yeah, probably missing out a hell of a lot because you know I'm trying I'm trying to drive at the moment. <laughs> yeah, don't distract me. Um, even though you are a distraction, but a welcome distraction. I need to tell people about the stuff I'm um, doing. Need to share it because you know. <laughs> Who else is going to be uh, doing this at this particular point in time? You know, who else? Um, who else even? Who else even on this stretch of uh, of this road even cares about social change? Well, there's two people. <laughs> um,
8: but you never know. That could be
2: someone who cares. never mind. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, but yeah, I've done. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's, it's just I've set myself into a head spin Because I'm trying to think of all the stuff that I've done But, uh, but yeah, just look on my YouTube channel YouTube.com forward slash A-A-U-T-Z-M um, You'll find yeah, lots of stuff that I've done on there um, And what am I planning uh, What action am I going to take in the future To help move this change along um, Well, I'm going to be attending uh, As many information stalls as I can Um... I'm going to be uh, working on other um, other projects, such as a um, some kind of uh, experimental um, electronic music sort of project, um, to communicate about social change. Um, what else, what else, what else, what else, uh, a new presentation that I'm going to be working on, um, which is going to really delve into the idea of be the change you want to see in the world, um, what does that actually mean? You know, surely it implies, you know, self-improvement, right? Surely. So, what does the, um, what does the realm of self-development uh, or self-help as it's called what does that have to say about you know actually becoming a change that you want to see in the world you know what kind of um what kind of attitudes must you uh, must you employ in your in your everyday psychology even to really reinforce the kind of um behavioral habits that are advantageous to social change, um, and uh, and that's uh, that's one of the things um, that I'm going to be that I'm going to talk about now. Just before the uh, the battery on my camcorder runs out, um, I will talk a little bit about this because this has a lot to do with you know what happens now after a Z Day event, and the answer to that is the maintaining of momentum right where if you're not familiar with the idea of momentum it's uh, it's where in, in in the physics term I think it's uh, it's where an object has um, has kinetic energy and that kinetic energy is moving it in the in the direction that the kinetic energy is already moving in um, so for example the car that I'm in right now, because of um, because of the, the, the functioning of the car is pushing it forward it's also imbuing the vehicle itself with a degree of momentum right and uh, that momentum can actually you know diminish if I don't take another further action to maintain the ex- the, the moment the momentum of the car the, the acceleration um, and when we apply that idea to social change, and specifically a person's actions, or even like a chapter's actions, or even a, like, a, like a country base, uh, countrywide chapter's actions, to be involved in social change, the uh the idea of maintaining momentum not only ensures that um that other people will start to become more inspired by that because they're seeing it they're seeing this activity again and again and again and you know and they start thinking you know what these guys are actually doing it they're, they're, this, this is quite inspiring, I should get up off my arse and help you know, or at least come along to one of these information stalls or one of these uh, chapter meetings and, uh, and you know see see what sort of thing they're thinking about doing for, for social change you know, what, what sort of ideas are they tossing around you know Maybe maybe I can contribute, you know. And um, on one side, maintaining the momentum does that, but also the momentum that you uh, that you accrue and maintain starts to solidify in your brain a uh, a habit. Right? It's it forms a habit. Right. and uh this this is this is a process, and and especially
15: if it's if it's a habit
2: of something that you're doing that you generally would not enjoy doing um then this this is uh, the phenomenon known as progressive desensitization right for example uh if you if you would like to you know become a speaker, like a public speaker, and you have an anxiety about public speaking then one of the best ways to uh, cure you of that anxiety is just to do it. Right? Progressively desensitise yourself to the anxiety that you would normally feel if you were to be speaking in public. Right? That's, that's the only way that you can that you can overcome something like that by by actually doing it. Because um, it's really not the task itself that you can't do, it's the fact that you can't operate very efficiently because your anxiety has shut down your ability to get into a good flow and, like, be able to communicate something really effectively and, um, and, uh, and fluently and, and, also succinctly as well. Sometimes you don't go off on too many tangents, um, but yeah, it sets that behavioural habit in your mind. That and you're, and after a while, your brain is like, yeah, this is the norm. This is the norm, and eventually, oh, this 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 is the uh, this is the coolest part. Normally, when you f- uh, when you find your uh, Feel an anxiety to do something that you're not that you don't normally do. Um, the uh, your brain sort of starts because you because you feel overwhelmed by the anxiety. Your brain starts coming up with uh, or or even generating excuses uh, why that is. You know, if you if you feel anxious about doing a certain thing, your brain will be like. Why am I? Why am I? Am I anxious about about this? What what don't I like about this? What do I think? Uh, what do I think will happen if I do it? Um, and uh, and we get so caught up in um, in all this all this negative inner dialogue that we end up not taking right action. And uh, most most of us live most of our lives. Like like that, most human beings in the world. Um, I mean, not, not like the vast majority, but a a majority. Even even if it's like fifty-one percent is a majority, you know. But uh, I mean, I mean, I draw that distinction because I'm i actually I actually engage in a lot of wishful thinking when it comes when it comes to terms with uh, when it comes to uh, you know how many people in the world are really. Like to like to think a, a majority isn't that much when when I'm referring to a dumb majority, that is. Um, but yeah, my my voice is starting to get a yeah, bit shot you. as well now, so I do apologise. Um, but yeah, the yeah, uh, your brain starts thinking, yeah, this, um, you know. This is why I think this certain uh, way. It's because of this bit of evidence, and you start you start engaging in confirmation bias, um, which you know, which in a, in of itself is a lot at least if you're going to going to use that that justification as an argument, then it is a logical fallacy. But uh, but no, no confirmation bias, <coughs> it's um, it is a it is in in certain respects a useful psychological tool to have because, you know, otherwise you would have to go throughout your entire life having no solid concepts of anything because you would have to constantly be, um, you know, uh, seeking reinforcements for, um... Well, actually, no. Not 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 seeking any reinforcements for. Um, sorry, I got that the wrong way around. Se- not seeking any reinforcements for the things you believe, and the thing, and you can't even justify the things that you believe because you have no solid justifications for them. Um, but it's it's when you start doing that too much, um, and especially focusing on the negative, that you know it's like your brain becomes a PhD. Um, a PhD genius in, uh, in coming up with excuses not to take right action that it completely ignores any excuses to take right action, right? We get so focused on what we don't want that what we do want passes us by and we don't take right action and we suffer as a consequence. Uh, and this this is partly what's um, in in my mind what's uh, you know to blame for um, for social movements not necessarily maintaining enough momentum to get any kind of significant um, work like achieved because the people are products of this culture, this culture which teaches us to live our lives with our brains on idle you know coasting through life and I, and I mean that literally in the in the automotive sense coasting, not in gear just just going through the motions, yes they're, yes, they're going forward but they're not driving themselves and um and eventually, they just lose lose all momentum. So, the the maintaining of momentum is what I'm saying is is the most important thing. So we've got to come up with excuses to do things. And if we if we can't get our inner dialogue to work for us, then what we need to do. Is have knowledge of what the right action would be to take at, um, at those specific points. I mean, obviously, it would be, it would be preferable to have knowledge of the right action to take in any situation, but it's very unlikely that, that human beings could, um, could, as like singular human beings, know the right action. Every situation, but you know, as many situations as they are most likely to be involved in, um, I think is a starting point. <laughs> but um, but yeah, if you've got the knowledge of the right action, then what you need to do is you need to take that right action before your brain has time to uh, to get in there with an with another excuse um yeah so you got to act before you can um before your brain has a chance to generate enough excuses to deter you yeah that's that you know that's why we ultimately never take right action we when because c- it's a spiral we get caught in a spiral of an increasingly Increasing lists of excuses not to take right action, and by and and by that time, you know the um, the opportunity to take right action has uh, has passed us by, Um, and there's even mounting situational uh, reasons why you know the right action isn't taken, And, and by then you're the. The idea of taking right action is severely, severely outweighed, immensely by all the all the excuses that you've allowed yourself the time to accumulate. And um, you know, the longer that process goes on, the more entrenched you become. That's why you know, younger people are far easier to reach than older people because those younger people haven't been as indoctrinated into um, into that you know complete spiral of thinking yet you know they haven't uh, they haven't they haven't reached the depths that that negative spiral can cause and it's it's a spiralling out of control because give up your control to people that you deem worthy of controlling your life for you (laughs) well not even that you've deemed worthy just that have been pre-selected and you don't argue against (laughs) that's it Um, but yeah I think as long as we keep uh, reminding ourselves to take right action as many situations as possible, and not, um, for some reason I keep thinking ambulate um, is a good word to use, but maybe not ambulating is a, uh, but just, I mean, I guess to use a more extreme word, fester. We don't fester in a downward spiral of no momentum. So yeah, that's why, you know, keeping keeping an eye on what's going on in the world, at least to the extent that you are duly informed, um, you know, some people go, you know, when, when people go like too far down that path, that's when they start becoming all defeatist and uh, cynical and saying, Oh, it's the new world order. They're keeping us down. We can't we can't do anything. Oh we're all doomed No oh, do Yeah. Um and, and that that kind of thinking it just gets so boring, you know. It I I start switching off when people just keep rattling off all these negative thoughts. As though, like, lump, as though burdening someone else with their doomsday views will uh, will actually change anything for the better, or prevent those doomsday thoughts from actually becoming a reality. Because the thing is, thoughts and ideas are self-fulfilling prophecies. Right? The more we believe that the world will not change for the better. The more we're ensuring that it will not change for the better. So we need to have a positive attitude about it, and a positive attitude can inform right action. Yeah? our beliefs that we have inform our actions if we have better beliefs about how the world works how we are to improve it in a non-violent compassionate and sustainable way that will enable future generations to be sustainable also because of our efforts don't you think that's you know the noble cause to take, and the um, and the key to our um, to our achieving that is to maintain the momentum. Not to um, oh, there, there was a there was a phrase that some, that someone used earlier today that, that stuck in my mind of um, how it describes um, you know the when people sort of uh, crumple down in their activities due to a a lack of momentum Um, uh, petered out petered out that was the that was the phrase a lot of our activities tend to peter out um, because we're not applying like proper proper right action when it's needed and not maintaining momentum and uh, and we we end up becoming frustrated and uh, start pointing the finger of blame at other people. That oh, you're not um, you're not you know um, organizing events or uh, or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. Why isn't why isn't the zeitgeist movement doing something? Um, well, that's great, bro. <laughs> okay, that's great, but. You need to, instead of pointing the finger of blame at other people of why aren't they doing it, ask yourself, okay, well, if you've got got the idea, which we agree is a good idea, why aren't you helping put that into action? What are you doing to ensure this? One uh, one principle that I like to go by is if you have the idea, if you have the idea for the project, if you if you bring the idea to the table, then it's on you to spearhead it, or at least sort of you know because obviously there's there's ideas that we can have that are completely outside the bounds of our ability to manage it. Um, like I can, I can say, you know, we should have an idea of, uh, you know, constructing vertical hydroponic farms all around, uh, all around London, so that uh, the population of London can be fed, but I know next to nothing about, um, like, how to actually construct a, um, a vertical hydroponic farm, so does that mean that I should be the one to spearhead it just because I have the idea? Um... Well, I should at least put it into initial um, phases of action. But when it comes to the actual construction of it, then that needs to be handled by people who actually know how to do that. Um, even if it's not their initial idea to do that, then they are helping in the process. Um, so, yeah, taking taking right action is the uh, is the path. Not only to um, ensuring that a better world starts to be created but when you think about the fact that you are taking right action and you are actually doing something doesn't that feel good doesn't it even if the right action is I I went to check out an information stall just to see what it was about Right? that was taking right action right? how awesome do you feel now because you are taking right action right? that is a true seat of self esteem because who else in this world is actually getting active who actually in this world cares enough well the vast majority of, uh, of society does not do that so just the fact that you're involved you can feel good about that and that can help like t- like suck you out of this downward spiral you know of negative thoughts because i mean i get i get negative thoughts from time to time i'm human i'm a product, product of uh, of this culture as it were and and also numerous other cultures across across the planet that I've seen evidence of and thus been influenced by. Um, so yeah, the, you know some of my some of my values sometimes show themselves to be twisted. But the difference with me is that I rec- I try to recognise as much as I can when those like negative values are coming up, and I work to try and correct them, or at least check like you know. Cut them out completely. If if you can't fix it, feature it. You know, <laughs> it's an old self-help term. If you can't fix it, feature it. I for example, if you've got a bit of a bit of a, of a fat gut, if you can't get rid of that straight away, that is what makes you awesome. You know, if uh, if you're balding like like I am right now. Um, I'm, I'm in my early thirties now. If, if you're balding, and uh, if you think that's that's a bad thing, never, if you can't fix bal- balding, this, you can shave it off. I've been bald several times in my life, not necessarily by choice, but uh, but the um, but yeah, what well, you can't can't fix feature, and uh, you know, really te- really like embrace the act of taking right action as a pillar of your self-esteem say yes I care enough about this world to do something about it to change it for the better that makes me a good person that makes me a compassionate person makes me you know more of a progressive person so what's there to feel bad about? ah got it The fear of social ostracism because we're doing something against the status quo aren't we we're trying to change the status quo into a new kind of status quo and uh, because we're taught to have identity um, associations with the system that we live in we think oh to change the system is to change me and to And to question the system is to question me and to debunk the idea of the system being good. is to debunk the idea that I'm good. To say that the current system is unsustainable is to say that I'm unsustainable. To say that the current system is immoral to say that I'm immoral and and you see and people go down that lane of thinking and it's just so counterproductive because it's not how how things actually are just just because you live in a system that needs to uh, teach you to stab your fellow human beings in the back does not mean that that's what you are right you are allowed to change the system, and this this is this is the um, this is the angle that I'm going to be taking with my um, with my transitional being presentation. The idea that people I think people suffer a severe lack of entitlement to change the world for the better. People feel like they're not allowed to change things because to do that. Would be to rock the boat and to cause conflict, because there's already ideological conflict in their brain. Uh, I, I was trying to say mind and brain at the same time, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm trying to bolt your task even with my words. Um, but yeah, people get stuck in that in that cycle of thinking, and um, and they just. They just end up not acting. They just end up not taking right action, not helping change the world for the better. But... Not because... Yeah, I mean, it's not like people would be immediately capable of taking right action as as long as they just have the the, the knowledge of the right action. No, there needs to be that... it's it's what's known in the the self-development term as the, uh, the deep identity level change meaning be the change you want to see in the world meaning the change must first come from within yourself you need to get the fuck over all the different psychological hang ups or as much of them as possible the psychological hang ups that you have inherited thanks to the conditions of living in this system You know, that bad temper that you have because you hate your job and, uh, you know, that you feel immensely stressed because you're constantly having to work a job that you hate to provide for a family that feel disconnected from you because you spend most of your time out working so you can get that money to then provide for them. It oh it is you know, I know exactly exactly what it's like. I've been a b I've been a breadwinner, not of a not of a family, but of myself and a partner that I've been living with. I've been in the position where I've been paying all the bills. I've been in that position. And uh and you know, just because my partner didn't have a job at the time didn't mean I complained. it wasn't like getting on her ass every single day, like, come on, why do not you get a job? No, it wasn't like that. I understood why not having a job in that kind of situation is incredibly stressful. And, And it just causes more conflict to inject more violence into the situation and berate someone for something that they can't necessarily help. There's so much stress in this system that can be so much alleviated if we were to a step, be able to step back, say, okay, what is the situation we're in right now? You know, what's the right action to take? You know, what's the um, what's the best way to actually um, consider the the evidence that I'm that I'm presented with? now what's what's more of an objective measure of uh of my situation and, uh, and the most objective measure if if there's a crisis in this situation what's the objective measure to to solve it what's the train of thought that I need to employ to objectively arrive at these at the at these objective decisions well obviously it's the scientific method right and um it's because that's the thing it, it just makes so much damn sense you know and um, but yeah I you know not to not to harp on like a huge amount but uh, but yeah that's that's what needs to needs to happen we need to keep taking right action we need to find um, I mean if if you can't take self-esteem from taking right action, then take self-esteem by connecting to what you value in this life. You know, um, what do you? What are you truly passionate about? You know, what really interests you? What really tweaks your? Um, you know, what tweaks your? You know, emotions in a positive way that can help. Steer your life in a positive, positive way. Now, what do you? What do you really value? You know, is it? Um, you know, do you value family? Do you value uh, cooperation? Do you value sustainability? Do you value um, moving forward to um, to innovate things? To Dogs, do all these, like, brilliant things that we humans can do? You know? Or do you value just having a good time? Do you value building things? Do you value talking to people? Do you value crocheting? I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever it is. Embrace that. And really... Look for reciprocal values in other people. Surround yourself with other people who, not well, I, I mean primarily, are, well, not primarily, but um, but on one on one side you need to associate with people who value the same things that you value, but also to enable progression, you need to also surround yourself with people. Who challenge your worldview? That present alternative views that get you thinking. You know, but uh, but yeah, that is uh, that's a good thing that we need to start employing from now on to uh, to ensure that we can help make this world a better place. But that said, uh, that's the end of this podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly enjoyed making it. Um, if, you, uh, if you'd like to find out more about our sponsor, it's uh, Do- Dr. Finkelstein. Um, he uh, hasn't really come up with a name for the device yet, but uh, I'm sure maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, if they're our sponsor next month, then uh, for the next podcast, then I can uh, reveal to you uh, what it will be called. But um, probably Google his name and uh, look up about the, uh, the device itself it's really hopefully going to be something uh, for social change to help ramp up uh well um, this podcast is also brought to you by our trusted triad of sponsorship providing the points of preservation to keep this podcast going and keep it coming to you every single month free of charge and uh something to really sink your teeth into and uh Share with share with other people, and also to to engage with as well to to help ensure that I keep providing you with good content. So if, if there's things that you want me to talk about that are along the lines of um, you know social, you know the social dysfunction that we that we're currently in, you know like the problem that we're currently in, in addition to ideas for how that problems uh, how that problem or problems can be solved with compassionate non-violent sustainable solutions um you know different ways of thinking that can help social change a lot yeah if you want me to talk about any of that sort of stuff then by all means gain contact with me um, you can contact me through my through my youtube channel here um, if you uh i think it's uh, my twitter handle i think is uh adamantium tzm um, you Find me there. Uh, there's also the talk shoe page. You can find me on Facebook, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, my, uh, my triad of sponsorship is uh, currently uh, Russell Brand, uh, Caroline Lucas MP, and Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, Russell uh, sends me uh, money in wet plastic bags. Uh, Caroline Lucas sends me money via carrier pigeon. And uh, Sir Patrick Stewart beams me money out of his uh, replicator 3D printer, so it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, by all means, uh, you know, you know, email, text, smoke signal, whatever you gotta do, thank these individuals for you know for sponsoring the show, and um, you know, be sure to, to do that because the more. Uh, the more we thank them for uh, for keeping this show running, the more likely they are to come on for at least 10 minutes, 10 minutes, to come on to, to the podcast and, uh, and have a good chinwag about uh, science and sustainability when applied to society. Uh, but that's that. Um, not sure what I'm going to have next uh, next time. Uh, I'm probably going to have, uh, maybe a little more of a elaboration on momentum, but, uh, but as for me, um, that was, uh, Day 2015 London, I'm, I'm Adamantium. you are the audience, um, just take this as inspiration to think, okay, what can I do to help make this world a better place, what sort of things am I good at that I can do to, uh, really help this along and uh, just to close this out um, on the 13th of uh, 13th of April uh, one of my emails to the Jeremy Vine show was actually read out and uh, just to close this out ladies and gentlemen thank you very much for listening what you'll hear is the comment that I sent out and uh, read out by Jeremy Vine himself so thanks very much guys take care out there hope you all have a wonderful life And uh, stay strong, people. Let's change things.
4: Adam's in Cranbrook and emails to say, there's no real difference between the parties. Elections are just popularity contests. No political party can solve our problems because none of them address the root causes. We keep voting because we've been duped into thinking it's the only way to change things.